0: Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for choosing to connect with us today, whether you're here in person or online, welcome to you. Uh, My name is Mike, as was mentioned, one of the pastors here, and we hope that this time together is fulfilling time for you. As you encounter the Lord and enjoy time together and enjoy time as we learn from God's word, the Bible and God's living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We need times like this to be refreshed and restored and filled up because the truth is life can be a little bit deflating at times, can it? Yeah, it can. Uh, Not just from the squashing reality of the problems in life, but also when we make mistakes. And I don't know about you, but maybe the person next to you is perfect, <laughs> but you're not, but I know I'm not. Uh, like, have you ever said something or done anything that you wish you could take back? Yeah, I, I, I know I have. Uh, like when Christy and I were first married, that's us right there. Yeah, I know. She is amazingly beautiful and I'm just a little goober standing there. Ooh, <laughs> she is beautiful. But I remember when we were first married, I was a a 20-something, fairly full of myself. And uh, um, Christy had just started her teaching career, full-time teacher. And some of you who are teachers know how draining that can be, specifically your first year. Well, we were first married at that time. And so I was all excited about everything. I was still in college at the time. I was interning at church, working a job, all kinds of things. And I'm a little more uh, hyper and up and down. Christy's more even person. Yeah, I know. I know it's hard to believe that I'm a little hyper or anything like that. But it, but Christy was, a she. you know, she was pretty tired at night. And so she would go to bed rather early. And I would say, come on, let's stay up. We can watch TV. We can go do some fun stuff. We can go out, to, you know, out and have fun and stuff like that. And I was kept pushing her in that. And then finally, just being out of frustration, I said to her one time, I said, and I know this is bad, <laughs> uh, but I said to her one time, why can't you be like me? <laughs> you know how arrogant of me, how prideful of me and how devaluing and deflating that was to Christy. Man, I uh yeah, it was uh, yeah. I wanted to take back that uh, uh that dumb mistake and though Christy has forgiven me. Yes, yes, she's <laughs> just making sure <laughs> um I felt those feelings of remorse, sorrow, regret sadness guilt and a bit of shame that's what lament is yes lamenting the bad that happens but much of lament is when we mess up and sense the error of our of our choices and want to be restored well praise god for a loving and merciful wife who uh, saw my lament and forgave and I sought to follow God's right and good path and be the husband he created me to be. See see life is, is a lot like a balloon uh, where uh, we were created to be filled. Now now we try to, to fill ourselves I don't get very far) <coughs> And we can get there pretty much, but it's not the feeling God intended for us. God intended for us to be connected to him. I have my little Holy Spirit right here. Uh, God intended for us to be connected to him and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how we connect to God, because we're not automatically born connected. We need to choose that. We need to come to the place of our life where we believe in Jesus and all that he did. And in that, we understand that we're sinful, that in other words, that separated us from God and we're not connected to him. And we can't connect ourselves. We need a savior to connect us. And that's what Jesus did. That's why we get so excited about Holy Week is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. All the sin of the world was dumped on him. He paid the ultimate price of sin. He died in our place. And then he rose from the grave saying, yes, I have taken care of your sin. And all we need to do is to believe that, to say, hey, I'm sinful. I need a savior and I connect and it's Jesus. And then we start the amazing reality of being filled up. And we're filled as God intended us to be filled, to to become the people that God has created us to be, not by our own filling, but we're meant to be filled by the Holy Spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. It's just a pump. But we tend to be filled and full of him. But the reality is we can still try to fill ourselves. And even though we're full, at times we can turn off the Holy Spirit in our life and we begin to what? You can hear it. We begin to deflate. Not no longer filled with the Holy Spirit, we begin to deflate in that way. Uh, But yet we can be restored. We can come to a point in our life where we engage the Holy Spirit again and lo and behold we're getting filled again. And that's the idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. When you come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you and you can turn him off or you can turn it on depending upon your life and obedience to him. You can be what's called quenching the Spirit and turn it off and begin the deflation in your life. And that's happened. And some of you are right there. Honestly, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill your life and you're not feeling what God intended you to feel as being full in him. Ancient Israel was there. First putting their faith in God, inflated and thriving, following his will and way. And as life went on, they started to follow bad leaders. And they actually decided to go their own way, not God's way, following their choices, what they wanted to do, their will and way and not following God's will and way. And they, their sin happened. And then God turned them over to their sin, his wrath and his judgment, his hot anger, not a human type, but that way of giving us over to our sin. And they eventually felt that deflation of life and it was horrible for them. And yet they came to a point of lament and we see it in the Bible book of lamentations that we've been studying over these past few weeks. And today we're finishing the book. As we explore Lamentations chapter four and chapter five, moving now on to being restored, to being filled up again. And it's fitting that it comes the Sunday before Holy Week, the week where God's restoration plan unfolds to deal with humanity's mistake and the hope that we can experience because of what Jesus did. For Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior. And truly it's all true. And we're going to be exploring that this Holy week, but you can, we can be restored and thrive regardless of the difficulties of life. And so Lamentations chapter four and five gives us two important actions to participate in God's restoration plan for true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our loving Lord. So I'd like for us to walk through Lamentations chapter four and chapter five, but before we do, if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet, Let's pray and ask God the challenges. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is present in this room. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to fill each one of you. And let's ask him. Because for some of us, it's going to take an action, whether it's of repentance or some movement of turning on the Holy Spirit in our life. Some of you are already there, and that's awesome. You can just praise God because you are filled. But let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, I know today is a moment that you have created to do business with you, God, and to to be taken with this subject of being filled by you. And God, I pray that as we walk out of here, we all would be filled with your spirit. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. Do your work in our hearts and our lives. And may we see you, Jesus, in a unique way today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat and encourage you to take out the outline that you received when you walked in here. If you're online, you can find that online. Uh, as, you, as you fold it over, there are some blanks to fill in. Fill in, the, the answers will be up on the screen. And uh, there's a lot of extra verses that we'll be giving today. If you don't have time to write them down, that's okay. Because if you go into the back uh, lobby area, you turn right, there's a desk there called the resource desk. There, this study guide is there. It has all the answers to the fill in the blanks and the extra verses. If you're online, you can get that online as well. I encourage you to, to, to look that up and I think you'll be blessed because of that because uh, our hope is that you would take this, maybe even this week and look up some of the verses that we talk about, some of the stories of Jesus that we talk about this morning and even look through them to get yourself ready for this Holy week and soak in all that God wants you to do. Cause we want this sermon to be a launch pad for your study uh, on the web. Uh, we have all the the website. We have all the different information you need that will help you in that a bunch of links to different articles that we mentioned. Also <clears throat> there's a link to our podcast, which we hope you uh, listen into at some point. Now the lament in Lamentations, the book of Lamentations has been a process dealing with mistakes made and feeling the distance from God as Lamentations one talks about and the wrath of God, which is him giving Israel over to their sins, the wrath of God experienced in Lamentations two. And it all seems kind of hopeless until Lamentations chapter three. Now, Hebrew poetry is is done in circular uh, chapters one and chapter two on one side, chapters four and five, but they all point in to chapter three, specifically verses 22 to 24 of chapter three of Lamentations because it says we need to put our hope in God, hope in God's love and mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's God's heart. God's heart is his steadfast, that Hebrew word chesed of God. That's his heart and his mercy to hold back what we do deserve because of our sin. That's his heart. His heart is not the wrath and anger and judgment of God. That is just the result of our own sin. God is just and he will deal with sin but he holds it back because of his mercy. He holds it back because of his steadfast love that ever flowing, always there ever present love of God, a love that is in spite of what we do, a love that is unconditional. It's always there. God's love is there. And God's desire for us is to be restored in him, but he will not make us. We need to come to a place where we surrender. And turn to him, willing now to live life his way. That's what's happening in Lamentations chapter 4 and chapter 5. Giving us how to surrender and what it takes to be humble before him. For true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our loving God. So take your Bible, if you will, and open up to Lamentations chapter 4. If you've been following us on, we've been dealing with a whole book as we walk through this. But Lamentations chapter four, and let's talk about surrender—how to surrender before the Lord. We, we did see this coming in chapter three, chapter three verses forty and forty-one. It says, "Let us test and examine our ways to look at our life and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to the God of heaven." What's the sign of surrender? It's your hands up. I surrender to lift up our hands. It's that sign of I'm giving up to surrender before the Lord is to give up our will for his. And Jesus is our prime example that actually happened this next week in history. Not this next week, but Holy Week in history. Write down somewhere in your notes and look it up later. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 44. Jesus has just gone through what we call Monday Thursday. If you want to know what Monday means, come Thursday and we'll tell you on Holy Week. But Jesus has been through the Last Supper with his disciples, a Passover meal, where he set up the reality of communion that we now face or to experience today. <clears throat> they had a great time that night. There was washing of feet. There was interactions. They sang a hymn and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22 we're talking about. And Jesus is beginning to feel what's going to happen to him on friday and so he asks his disciples to sit there and he goes off to pray he asks them to pray for him and what do they do they fall asleep and really that's what we do a lot of times god tells us to do something and we take a nap not a good nap <laughs> we fall away to shirk our responsibility to to not do what he's told us to do how many times have we been napping Jesus goes off and he's, he's in anguish. He falls to his knees. He, he, he starts praying and talking to his father. God, is there any way, is there any way that this cup will pass before me? Because he knows what's going to happen. The beatings, the scourgings, the being nailed to a cross, the struggle to take every breath, to seeing his followers leave him. He sees it all. And he says, God, is there any way? And Jesus right there surrenders and says, not my will, but yours. Jesus is the perfect example of surrender. Lamentations 4 gives us three actions to surrender before the Lord. The first is to recognize that sin devalues, found in Lamentations 4, verses 1 to 10. I'm not going to read all the verses in all these sections, but you can read them all later. I'll just highlight a few of them. Israel was coming to their senses and seeing that their way was not fulfilling. It was actually the sinful way was deflating and devaluing. Verse 1 of chapter 4. How the gold has grown dim. And how the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious stones of Zion worth their weight in gold are now regarded as earthen pots. The work of a potter's hand. There's devaluing of that. Look farther, verse three. But the daughters of my people have become cruel, this valiant of human existence. Children beg for food, no one gives them anything. Verse five those who once feasted on delicacies perished in the streets. Those who who were brought up in purple, that royalty, embraced ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which has overthrown. Was overthrown in a moment. No hands were wrung for her. And if you want to know about Sodom, write down Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19, where God rained down uh, hail, fire, and brimstone, wiped the city out. It was instantaneous. it's, It's even more with this than that. Seven. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral, and The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot and they are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones and they become as dry as wood. Happier are the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who waste away, pierced by the lack of fruits in the field. You can just feel the, They're recognized in the devaluing of the sin that's taken over them. They've chosen not to go God's way and to go their own way, trying to fill their own life. And it's been been even more devaluing than that. They've been conformed and crushed by all the weight of their sin. And they're wasting away. They acknowledge that they came to the place that their life choices were not God's way and they were horrible and empty and worthless. It's much like the prodigal son, in the, in the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told back in uh, Luke chapter fifteen, actually Luke chapter fifteen is full of stories of lost things—lost coin, lost sheep, and a lost son. Really, lost two sons. And the story of the prodigal son, Jesus tells of a of a story. It's it's just a made up story, but to prove a point that a man had two sons. The younger one said, "Hey, Dad, I want to don't want to wait till you die." to get your inheritance. I want it now as if I wanted you dead. Now it's a very disrespectful and uh, a horrible thing to ask for. And his son and the father says, okay, gives him his portion of the inheritance and he goes and he wastes it on wine, women and song. And then it says something very interesting. And I hope you read this story. It says as he was, all his money was gone. All his friends were gone because he bought friends he came to a point, he was eating the, the slop out of the pig's uh, trough because he was so hungry and so distraught because the sin of his life had devalued him down to where he was eating like pigs. And the story taught to Jewish people, that was the worst kind of thing you could ever could imagine. Not cute little piglets. No, this was bad. And it says he came to his senses. He realized that away from the father was not where to be. He was valueless away from the father, but his father gave him value. And he even said, if I go to the servants and become one of his servants, I am more valued in that than I am where I'm at. So he decides to go away. And matter of fact, why don't you take your Bible and open up to that. Luke chapter 15, right around uh, verse um, 20. And I want you to watch what the father does in this, because God's the one who brings value when we decide to be full with him. The son turns back and says in verse 20, and he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. And if you understand Jewish culture, you know that a dignified man never runs. But the truth is God runs after us constantly. He cares that much about you. That he is willing to run after you, and some of you, he continues to run after you, and he brought you here today because he wants you to feel the full embrace. Because look at what happens. And the son said to the father. Uh, the, the, the 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 father ran and embraced him and kissed him, and the and the son said to his father father i've sinned against you in heaven before you i'm no longer to, worthy to be called your son but this father doesn't even listen to that he says but the father said to his servants quickly go get the best robe you have put it on him put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet all signifying that he is back in the family he's included not at the fringes like a servant he's brought right in to be with the father Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and found and they began to celebrate. That's the picture of the heart of God to each one of us who want to be filled again. It's recognizing that sin devalues, but when we surrender, we can be embraced like the father. Now, if you read on in the story, there's another son. He never really surrenders. We never know what his end is. The father still entreats him to come in. But we're to surrender by recognizing that sin devalues. For true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our loving God. The next action of surrender in Lamentations is to admit fault. Go back. You're in Luke. Go back to Lamentations chapter four again. Now verses 11 to 16. Look at Verse 11. We need to, to surrender is not only to to uh, recognize its sinful values, but now to admit fault. The Lord gave full wrath to the vent of His anger. In other words, full He's He's in, He's fully righteous and right to let judgment happen because of what we've done. He poured out His hot anger. He kindled His fire against iron and consumed the foundations. They became because of the fact that they went their own way. This is the result. They knew that it was God's judgment being poured out. Verse 13. This is for the sins of the prophet. Actually, you can look at uh, verse 12. It said, the kings of the earth did not believe nor did any inhabitants in the world that the foe, that foe or enemy could ever enter the gates of Jerusalem that was talking about their pride. Yeah, we're we're God's people. No one can touch us. (laughs) And then they realized that they blew it. And this was for the sons it's the sins of their prophets, the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her, the blood of the righteous. Talking about the leaders did not lead them well. They messed up and they messed up the nation and now surrendered before God, admitting their fault, admitting the doing of things their own way. It's much like a parable that Jesus told another story. Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, verses nine to 14, write that down and read that later, because it's talking about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the tax collector went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stands over here, making sure everybody sees him. God, thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. Who's a tax collector. And yet the sinner over here, the tax collector is beating his chest saying, God, I'm such a, I'm such a sinner. I've messed up so much. We're like the Pharisee pointing the finger at somebody else. Instead of looking inside to ourselves. The tax collector, the tax collector admitted their sin. Are we willing to really do that? Specifically the sin of self-focus. For true restoration in life comes from. Humble surrender before our loving Lord. The last action of surrender comes out in chapter four of Lamentations is to accept the consequences. It's found in Lamentations chapter four, verses 17 to 22. Our eyes failed, verse 17, ever watching vainly for help. Verse 18, uh, our end drew near, our days were numbered, for our end has come. Verse 20, the Lord's anointed was captured in their, in their pits. Talking about the, the king was captured. This is the results they understand. We've messed up and these consequences are what happens when we don't go God's direction. Then in verse 21 to 22, it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughters of Edom. I'll explain that in a moment. And you, and you who dwell in the land of us. But to you also the cup shall pass and you shall become drunk and strip yourself bare and the punishment of your iniquities, O daughters of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but you, your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, will, he will punish, he will uncover your sins. Edom was an arch enemy of Israel. If you want to read about it, there's an article, there's a link to the article, it's in the on the webpage, it's also in the study guide that talk about that. But Edom, uh, Israel is looking, hey, look, we, we know we're going to get it. We know it's going to be difficult. We know we've experienced this wrath and judgment of God. Hey, don't think that you're going to escape this, Edom. You're next. But in there, it says the accepted consequences. And in that, it says, hey, look, the punishment and iniquity of O daughter Zion of Israel is accomplished. There will be an end to this. For Edom, not yet, because Israel had surrendered and there was an end. The rightful judgment of God is satisfied. There is an end to that. And as we look at the cross coming in this coming Holy Week, and we look towards this week when Christ hung on the cross in those hours of agony, he screamed out, it is finished, which means paid in full. That he took care of our sin. It's finished. You no longer, we no longer have to account for and atone for our own sin. Jesus took care of it on the cross. Jesus' death is enough. And all we need to do is to be connected to him and accept that and come in belief, but not to blame. Too much we blame. That means we're not accepting the consequences of our sin. We're locked into that victim cycle, not surrendered, not filled. Is that where you're at? I hope not. God wants us to humbly come before him for true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our loving God. See restoration happens as we surrender, as we recognize Sin devalues, as we admit our fault, as we accept the consequences, and then to make the choice to be humble before God. Lamentations chapter five, verses one to 22. In there, there's four actions as we humble ourselves before God. The first is to honestly cry out to God. Let me just read to you the first five verses of Lamentations five. Remember, oh Lord, what has befallen us Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our home to foreigners. We've become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for water to drink. The wood we get, we must, must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. It's that humble cry out to God of our, Devastated position of our own depravity, as some have said. It's a place of seeing the need and looking to God for help. It's like the blind man in, in Luke chapter 18, write this down, Luke 18 verses 35 to 43. He's actually given a name, his name is Bartimaeus. It happened as Jesus was coming out of Jericho. And lining the streets, as is common, coming out of a city, were a bunch of beggars and people asking for help and and money and 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 encouragement or something. And one blind man there cried out, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me!" And he would not stop. People are trying to shush him, but he kept crying out. He was insistent in his crying out. He knew his plight, and he knew the answer was only found in the miracle worker of Jesus. And so he cried out, humbly, didn't care what people thought of him, humbly asking for help. Are you really honestly crying out to God? Or are you more like the Pharisee? Oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person over there. In humility, crying out to God of your need. And maybe you're sitting there and saying, well, I don't have any need. Maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted you yet of that. The next humble action is to admit wrong loyalties. It's found in Lamentations 6, verse 13. Let me just read you the first few there. What Israel did. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned no more will, and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. They didn't go to God. They turned to others for help, not back to God. Oh, anything but God. I don't want to ask him. As verse 18 or verse 8 to 13 go on. Yes, slaves rule over us. We get our bread at the peril of our lives. Women are raped. Verse 12, princes are hung by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. Result, the consequences of their wrong loyalties. As Jesus passed by, uh, there was a short little guy that climbed up a sycamore tree. Remember his name? Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19, verses one to 10. Jesus walking by and he sees Zacchaeus up there and he says, says, hey Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. Zacchaeus was intrigued by Jesus. Now Zacchaeus was a tax collector, not just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, head of them all. The tax collector was not a good thing in that day because they were Jewish people hired by Rome to collect taxes from their fellow brothers and sisters and they could actually ask for more so they could live a lavish life and they did. They put their people under the thumb of Roman uh, hardship so that they could live in luxury. It was horrible, way against God's law. They were opportunists, thinking more of themselves than anybody else. So Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house. And as he interacts with him, and you can read the interaction there. Zacchaeus realizes that he had forsaken God's way and abused God's people and sought out for his own pleasures and ways at the expense of others. He meets Jesus and realizes his wrong allegiance to Rome and he comes back to faith. See, Jesus is very clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, saying, You can't have two people you're allegiant to. You'll either hate one or love the other, and you cannot certainly serve God and money. Who are you allegiant to? Who are you loyal to? Maybe it's time to give your full allegiance, your full loyalty to Jesus. For true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our loving Lord. To be humble is to honestly cry out. To be humble is to admit wrong pick wrong loyalties, but also to confess our unbelief. Look at Lamentations verses 14 to 18. But old men have left the city gates. The reason they've left the city gates is because they no longer believe in God. The young men, their music, same thing. They no longer believe in God. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Their hearts of faith. Our dancing has turned into mourning. No more celebration with God. They've lost their faith. The crown has fallen from their head. That God's chosen people crown had fallen down because they don't believe it any longer. Woe to us, verse 16, for we have sinned. For this, our heart became sick for the things of our own eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies in desolate jackals prowl over it. They saw their sin. They saw the ramifications of no longer being, having an active belief in God. And they even say right out, woe to us for we have sinned. If we don't believe God fulfills, restores, gives hope or help or healing, we've fallen into the plight of unbelief. So many times when Jesus would encounter people he would say, It's your faith has made you well. And not like this mustering up of, oh, now I have great faith. It was faith in the belief of who Jesus is, that he can do anything. There's nothing God cannot do, he can do anything. And yet, sometimes he doesn't choose to do what we want. We want healing, we want restoration from that horrible circumstance. And sometimes God doesn't give healing. Sometimes God allows the death to happen. Sometimes God allows the relationship to explode. But yet we still can trust and believe his way is best, no matter what happens. It's like the desperate father who encountered Jesus in Mark chapter nine, you can write this down, verses 14 to 29. The disciples are having a difficult time with this man's son. He's possessed of some demon that keeps throwing him into the fire, throwing him into the lake, causing convulsions. And these disciples can't seem to help. Jesus enters in and goes, what's going on here? The desperate father says, your disciples couldn't heal my son. If you are willing or if you can heal him. And Jesus goes, if? Just believe. And the father out of desperation says, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. You could read the story to see what happens, but in humility, he was confessing his unbelief. And that's how we approach God and be filled. God, help my unbelief. I may not know everything there is to know, but help my unbelief in humility and not saying, I got this. Yeah, I know Jesus. And I've got him in my pocket and I can just pull him out when I need him. No, it's a humility that says, I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus and about God and about all this faith stuff, but I'm going to trust in Jesus to make it right no matter what it is. For true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before a loving God. Lastly, on how to be humble before the Lord is to resolve to restore. Good last few verses of Lamentations chapter 5. But you, O Lord, reign forever? Your throne endures over all generations. You can see they're finally looking to him. Why do, you not, why, why do you forget us? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Now, they're not saying that he's been doing that. That's what they're feeling. Because remember, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. They just wrote that and read that in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. But that's how they feel. They feel like God is distant, And then they say, cry out in verse 21, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. Unless here again, they're feeling that humbleness. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's not a judgment. That's just how they feel. The word restore is to bring back, to go back, to return, to turn back. It also has a notion of turning away from to revoke or to cancel or to convert when they're crying out, restore us. God, it's not all God that's doing the work. It's that it it means that they will turn back to him, abandoning evil and self and returning to follow his will and his way. Another Psalm of lament. This humble desire is expressed in Psalm chapter 80. It's actually found in verse three, verse seven and verse 19. It says this, restore us, oh God, let your face shine that we may be saved. It's saying, in seeing my sinful ways, I want to forsake my self-focus and, and in, in life of feeding my pleasures, my wants, my desires. And God, I want to be restored. I want to go your way to make God our focus, our want, our desires. And in that, we find our true self. And live life. Live the life we were created to live. Jesus said in Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty-eight to thirty, he says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." You're not going to find rest in this world any other way. It's only found in Jesus. In Matthew six thirty-three, Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God." That's Christ on the throne, where He's the only loyalty it says all, and, and his righteousness, his way of life. And it says all these things of life will fall into their place. Life is sorted out when Jesus is in that high, holy place. When we resolve to be restored, there's true rest. And yet it takes, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That denying of self is to quit is to move self out of the picture and to put Christ in there. And the truth is, we are the worst at denying ourselves. We actually think even church people actually think it should be my way. And you know how you can tell? Is when something changes in the church and you get mad. Oh, don't you change my song? That's my song. The song's about. Jesus and God. It's not about you. We think we got to have worship my way. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping the God almighty. He doesn't care what style the song is. Well, it's got to be the way I want. No, it doesn't. And the way that you, you, we focus our identity on self is when we get angry at those things. Someone move my chair. Someone move my song, move my order of things, and you get all upset. It just shows it's more about you than about him. And I'm sorry if that stings, and if you're upset, you're right there. Will you be resolved to be restored? It takes surrender. It takes humbleness before God for true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our God. We were created to be filled with the Holy spirit of God. So what's filling you? Lamentations has challenged us to get to the point to grieve, to lament our sin and yet not lose hope but surrender and humbly come before the Lord and we will be restored. We're to surrender as Lamentations four says to recognize sin to values, to admit fault and to accept consequences and to be humble before God. As Lamentations five says to, to honestly cry out to God, to admit wrong loyalties, to confess unbelief to and resolve to be restored for true restoration in life comes from humble surrender before our loving Lord Maybe it's time to do just that. Maybe it's time to truly surrender before God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we humbly bow before you. The God of the universe, the one who created all that we see before us, and we humbly bow in reverence to you. Lord, forgive us, forgive me for being so full of myself and thinking all things, even church should go my way. Lord, we want to worship you, not ourselves. We want to humble ourselves before you and acknowledge acknowledge our sin of self and ask you to fill us a full, to fill us that we can sense that true thriving nature that you have for us, that the pressure on the inside will be greater than the pressure on the outside and we will truly be the people you created us to be. God, I pray you'd help each one of us in that regard. Guide us and direct us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.